Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and this is the Mosaic Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you're one of our regular listeners, we love the fact that you journey with us. And we pray that every single message inspires you and helps you become the person that God created you to be. Every single week, we send a new message across the world. And everything we do here at Mosaic is made available to everyone in the world for absolutely free. The reason we can do that is that we have incredible people who give generously and sacrificially to make this possible. And I want to invite you to join us. If you're already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you've not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that now. Go to mosaic.org slash give and give a one-time gift or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Mosaic. And if you're one of those individuals who God has blessed in an amazing way financially, I want to invite you to become one of our partners here at Mosaic. What's really beautiful about Mosaic is that our biggest givers are families who do not live here in Los Angeles, but they are so committed to the message of Jesus going to the world that they support the work here from Los Angeles to the ends of the earth. And so I want to invite you again, go to mosaic.org slash give, become a part of our support system, become one of our partners. And more than anything else, I want you to listen to the message and allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. A while back, I was looking at some interesting studies on infants to see if infants can actually identify beauty or are drawn toward it. One of the surprising things that they discovered is even infants, before we ever give them a concept of beauty, are, are drawn toward faces that, that have symmetry, that we would identify as beautiful. There's something strange in the way that we're constructed, that we're drawn toward beauty. And, and sometimes beauty is, is overt. You see sunrises and sunsets. Isn't it amazing how much... Instagram blows up when there's a great sunset. <laughs> it's as if you're the only person capturing that moment. Sunrises are astonishing, waterfalls, rivers meandering through a forest. In fact, there are moments when I see photographs that capture the beauty of nature and they just take my breath away. And yet there is a more powerful hidden beauty underneath all the expressions of the universe. If you can capture the cosmos and see the stars at night. There are places you can see stars at night. The more elegant beauty is the beauty of what holds the entire universe together. In fact, what I've discovered in life is that it's the hidden beauty that's actually the most astonishing. And all that is beautiful, everything that has ever taken our breath away is an expression, an extension of the essence of God. In fact, I'm convinced that we're drawn toward the beautiful because God himself is the beautiful one. And we're designed to live in relationship, in communion with him. And that even when we are unaware of it, our souls are drawn, are compelled to move toward God. And we're moved toward his beauty. And if this is so, then it sort of demands the question, why was Jesus not recognized? to be the beautiful one. Over the next weeks together, we're going to look at the beautiful one. We're going to look at Jesus in a unique way, open our eyes to see him from a vantage point, from a perspective that will allow us to see his beauty and his wonder, at the same time to discover 
not only the beauty all around us and the beauty of life, but even the beauty that he sees in you. Isaiah wrote some peculiar words about Jesus long before Jesus was ever born. He wrote words describing the Messiah, the Christ he would come. And his description of our reception of his coming was quite unexpected. In Isaiah 53 verses 2 through 5 he writes, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a, dry, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I find it almost incomprehensible that the scriptures would tell us that when Jesus would walk this earth, when God would take on flesh and blood, when the creator of the universe, the source of all beauty, would walk among us, that we would see no beauty in him or majesty to attract us to him. How is it possible that God could walk among us, that the source of everything that is good and beautiful and true come wrapped up in skin and we would not recognize that kind of beauty. I think what we find in Jesus is what so oftentimes perplexes us about God. Is that we expect certain things of God, certain things about God. In fact, in some ways, we want God to act a certain way. And when he doesn't, it confuses us. And sometimes it actually feels as if he's betrayed us. Because Jesus came to us, not in, in pomp and circumstance, not in splendor and luxury. Jesus came with an unexpected humility. It tells us he came like a root out of dry ground. That's not really an attractive metaphor. If someone looks at you and says, you look like a root that came out of dry ground, you shouldn't say thank you. At worst, you'd want to be a desert rose. I mean, shouldn't Jesus be the desert rose? The rose that came out of the desert, though there was no life. He was an expression, an explosion of beauty and life. But he says, no, he came like a tender root. He came out of the ground like a root. And if you've ever seen a root, they're not that attractive. No one draws pictures of roots. No one takes photographs of roots. There is no root day that I know of. No one has roots decorating their homes. At best, we eat roots, but we don't even identify them as roots. We call them other things to make them less root-like. And yet here we have Jesus described as a root coming out of the dry ground because in him we saw nothing beautiful, nothing majestic, nothing that would attract us to him because Jesus came in an unexpected humility that actually unnerved us about God. Because if God comes in humility, what does it demand of us? See, if God comes as a servant, what does it require of us? It's so much easier if God comes like a king, if God comes like a conqueror, 
If God comes with power and prestige, pursuing fame and glory, when he walks among us in humility, when he chooses the narrative of being born of a virgin, an obscure major in a small town, surrounded by livestock, it doesn't tell us the story we want of God. Because we want God to reflect our desires. But God wants us to reflect his character. See, we want God to come big so that we can be big. We want God to come with all the trappings of luxury and opulence so that we can justify our own longings and our own cravings and our own lusts. I don't know where you came from to be here tonight, but I flew in from Rome yesterday, so I think I traveled a further distance than most of you. Kim and I were in Rome. I was there at the Vatican for several days working on a project. And I, I, I've been so grateful to be a part of this project and the opportunity to actually speak at the Vatican was a huge moment in my own personal experience. But I can tell you as I walked around the Vatican and I saw astonishing architecture and exquisite art and really inspiring historical artifacts everywhere, I kept thinking to myself, how strange that what the world would see as the epicenter of the movement of Jesus looks more like the Roman Empire than Jesus of Nazareth. It's almost as if the church couldn't tolerate Jesus' humble essence. We couldn't stand what he demanded of us by who he was and who he is. And so we built him cathedrals and we built him stained glass and we created him places of opulence and, and exquisite Ornaments that reflect his glory, something that is worthy of him. Except it's not the story he came to tell us. See, I, I think what happens so oftentimes is that when we're terrified that what is within us is not beautiful enough, we create an exterior that hides the less beautiful. It's like a shell game where the outside tells you one thing, but the inside has nothing to say. Now, while we were in Rome, and I asked Kim to go with me this time, and I was so excited to have Kim travel with me and, and for us to have some days together. And Do you ever have an idea in your mind of an experience you're going to share together, but it doesn't quite work the way you hoped? <laughs> but I knew there would be three days, there would be a lot of meetings in the Vatican, there would be a lot of work, but I thought, we're going to have some time. We're going to experience Rome, but more than anything else, see... There are two family members in our family who love Italian food. It's, it's Kim and Aaron. Yeah. Italian food is like their favorite food. I, I don't love Italian food because Italian food is nothing but carbs. And it tastes amazing. And I could eat pizza all day long. I could eat pizza at dinner and at breakfast and at lunch. And so I need to stay away from it because it's like my cocaine. <laughs> so I don't like Italian food because of what it does to me. But I thought, I'm in Italy. I'm going to go get some great Italian food. I don't care. I don't care the, the consequences. I don't care the implications. I don't care what the weight scale says. I don't care what the body fat says. I don't care what my trainer says. I'm going to have a lot of Italian food in Italy because that's why you go to Italy. Because you got to live. So Kim said, what do you want to eat? We got away one day because even though there was all these amazing things at the Vatican, 
the food was, was not. And, and so I thought, we got to go find some good Italian food. we got to get out of here to find some Italians who make great Italian food. And, and so we got out. I went to the hotel. And it wasn't the best hotel. It was, it was a great place to be. But the shower, the shower was so small that if you dropped the soap, it was gone. <laughs> you can, I am not embellishing this. The shower was about this dimension where... You had to turn like this <laughs> to water off. It is almost impossible to soap yourself if it required elbow extension. But that's okay, because you're only in the shower a few minutes. You're only in the room a few minutes. We're going to get out, and, and we're going to find some great Italian food. And I went to the desk, and I said, is there an Italian restaurant you'd recommend? And they recommended a place right away, and they gave me the business card, which sort of disturbed me. Because whenever... A hotel has the business card of the hotel. You, might, you think there might be some kind of arrangement, but I, was, I trusted them. They were Italian. <laughs> so we took off walking, went down a street, turned down another street, turned down another street, went under a tunnel, came up through a tunnel, walked down a street, and we found this Italian restaurant after having passed 100 different Italian restaurants. <laughs> we walked inside, and I, I was curious that they were playing American music, but, but I let that pass. And I ordered pizza and lasagna. Because you don't know how long you're going to live. And so I just said, I need to have everything I want right now. And so I ordered pizza and lasagna. Kim ordered a pasta. And when the pizza and lasagna came, it was the worst Italian food I've ever had in my life. I mean, I don't want to be ungrateful. It was horrible. I think we would have had better food if we had gone to 7-Eleven. We took a bite of the lasagna, and we couldn't even eat one bite. We ate some of the pizza Although I felt violated by the carbs. I thought, you do not deserve me. <laughs> but we had to eat something. And so then I went back to work and we put a few more hours of work in and it was dinner time. And she says, what do you want to do for dinner? And I said, I want Italian food. I still have not had Italian food in Italy. She says, okay, okay, let's go. And so we went. She says, well, but do you, do you know what you want? Yes, I want pizza and I want pasta, uh, lasagna. And so we looked and we passed maybe 200 Italian restaurants. And I asked him, do you think they call it Italian food or just call it food? And, and we looked around and, and we kept passing by. I said, how about this place? And Kim looked at it and goes, no, I don't think so. And she goes, how about this one? I said, no, I, I don't think so. I said, here's one. And she goes, no, no, it looks too swanky. It looks too fancy. And I realized that everything with the white tablecloth was just too high end for Kim. She wanted to eat something more homey. I thought, I'm, go I'm good with that. I, I want, like, I want like, an Italian mama making my food. I, I want her to treat me like I'm her own child. And, uh, so we passed all these places, and finally we were so exhausted, and Kim was so frustrated with me, that we stopped in the second place, and we knew we shouldn't have stopped there. We just knew, because the guy grabbed us and said, come inside, it's, it's fresh, it's real, come, it's homemade, Italian. We should have known it wasn't. Well, maybe it was, but it was horrible. I mean, there was almost no one there, and the only people there were tourists. And the people were mean. There, it was terrible service. It was a terrible environment, and they were consistent. It was terrible food. And we just, and we ate a little bit of it, but Kim could just see it in my eyes. Despair. <laughs> I was so disappointed. I tried to hide my disappointment, but I couldn't. And as we were leaving, I could see her starting to cry. And I could just feel her sadness. And I said, honey, don't be sad. She goes, I'm not sad because of the food. I'm sad because of how sad you are. I can just see the disappointment all over your face. And it's true. I was so disappointed. I was like, I'm in Italy. 
and I cannot find any good Italian food. It's a lie. It's a lie. There is no such thing as Italian food. It's something that's been exported by other countries, but it doesn't exist in Italy. And And I started wondering if this is the way people feel on their search for God. Because you start wondering if you taste enough of religion. And it leaves you empty and it's tasteless and lifeless. You wonder if all you have are the shells of a reality that doesn't even exist. What happened with Jesus when he walked on this earth is that he came in an unexpected humility. And he wasn't what we expected And he wasn't a reflection of our desires of God. And when he wasn't a reflection of our desires of God, what we're really saying is it was not a reflection of our desire for ourselves. We did not want to be called to humility. We did not want to be called to servanthood. We did not want to be called back to our humanity. So we looked at him and saw nothing beautiful in him or anything that attracted us to his nature. See, if you learn... To love the hideous, you learn to despise the beautiful, which is what Isaiah goes on to tell us. In verse 3, he says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Now, I could understand us missing his beauty. After all, God is so unexpected. He comes in such simple elegance. But what in the world would cause us to despise him? What did Jesus ever do that would cause us to turn our faces from him? Because we felt so much derision against him. What would cause us to see him in such low esteem? Why would we feel that way about a man who touched the blind and gave them sight? What would cause us to feel such animosity toward one who held the leper leper and cleansed them from their sickness? What would cause us to despise a God who would bring hope to the hopeless and healing to the wounded? who would take a handful of fish and loaves and feed thousands who are hungry, what would cause us to despise Jesus when he was the perfect manifestation and expression of love? See, if you want to know what beauty looks like expressed through humanity, it is love. And we despised love. We despised the beauty that emanated from Jesus. Because it condemned us. Because we chose to live a life lacking of beauty. Have you ever had friends who had this odd dating dynamic? Where they always... (laughs) They always... Wanted to date the person who didn't want to date them. You ever known that person? And in fact, they were in love with the person who did not want to date them. They just had to have that person. Like they don't want anything to do with you. I know, I'm so in love. In fact, I've seen guys work so hard to get the girl who said, I'll never go out with you to go out with them. It's almost, it's, it's their life mission. 
And if you listen, they go, oh, if I could just get her to look at me, just go out with me one time, it would change my life. I've seen it over and over again. And then the moment she goes out with them, they go, hmm. <laughs> there must be something wrong with her. And if she makes the mistake of falling in love with you, that's proof there's something wrong with you. See, one of the strange things about the brokenness inside of the human spirit is that there's a subtle narrative inside of us that the only person worthy of our love is the person who doesn't see us as worthy of their love. And there is this odd filter that we use if that person would actually lower themselves to love me, there has to be something wrong with them, so I better look for someone else. Why did we see Jesus in such low esteem? Ironically, it's because he did not consider us too low to love. And so he lowered himself for us. And by lowering himself, we lowered our opinion of him. We would have such a high opinion of God if God never walked among us. We would have such a high opinion of God if all he held onto was his power and his glory and his majesty and his wonder. If all God did was create a universe worthy of our admiration, he would be a God that we would consider worthy of our worship. But the fact that God would humble himself and make himself as nothing and take on flesh and bone and walk among us in humility and not hold it over us, but come to serve us, it makes us think less of him. One of the peculiar things of beauty when it comes to God is that God has a clear distinction between opulence and elegance. See, God didn't come to show off. He didn't come to impress you or astonish you or blow you away. He came to wash your feet and to serve you and to heal you and to walk with you. Jesus came in an unexpected humility, and so we didn't see the beauty. It was a hidden beauty. And one of the curious things about this hidden beauty of God is that when Jesus stepped into human history, we saw it as the sacrifice of beauty. He became one of us. He was just like us. He left all of his glory. It was the sacrifice of beauty. But Jesus saw it in a very different way. He saw it as the beauty of sacrifice. See, when Jesus walked among us, he knew he wasn't diminishing his beauty. It was accentuating the beauty of God. It was revealing the beauty of God. And making us see that beauty was worth his sacrifice. So that we could rediscover the beauty of our lives. So the second day in Italy, we went back out again. This time, I, 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 I tried a different approach. I sent out a plea to the world through Twitter. <laughs> I said, I know this sounds absurd, but does anyone know a good Italian restaurant in Italy? <laughs> a lot of snarky responses. Irwin, walk out the door and turn right. <laughs> or left. 
Have you tried Yelp? What do you think I am? An idiot? Of course I tried Yelp. Yelp was unhelpful. Then, then people were saying, I gave up on Rome. I went and found an Italian restaurant in Florence. That was not hopeful. And, and then finally, people became helpful. I mean, I was up in the middle of the night waiting. I, I sent a text to Aaron. Aaron, help me find an Italian restaurant in Rome. I, I need a win. Your mom is so sad for me. <laughs> and then one of our friends in New Zealand, Joel Milgate, who spoke at conference, sent me a response. They were just there a few weeks ago. They say, try this restaurant called Urbano 47. He sent me photographs. They looked amazing. A little more modern Italian, but I was okay. I was willing to find any kind of good Italian, modern, ancient, it didn't matter. <laughs> and so I, I, I tagged it and I marked it in my map. And the next day I told him, I know where we're going. And so we grabbed a cab. I said, let's just grab a taxi. Let's just go ahead and pay for it. Instead of wandering and walking, which she was not really up for because I was so unsuccessful the day before. So we paid 35 euros to go across Rome to Urbano 47. Now, the taxi driver couldn't even take us to the restaurant. He had to let us off at the top of the hill, and he said, it's down there, that's a one-way road. And I kept thinking, then why didn't you go the other way? <laughs> but I didn't want to press my luck, so I paid the 35 euros. We got out of the taxi, started walking down the hill, down this quaint little road, and I was excited. I, did, I wanted to make sure I could eliminate any possibility of disappointment. And so I, I had it on, on my map, and there was a little dot, so I was making sure we were walking toward the dot. And I was the little, little person there walking up to the dot. And when we finally walked down that street to where the dot said we would experience life, <laughs> there was the sign, Urbano 47. And it was completely gutted out. There were construction workers inside doing something inhumane to that restaurant. And it was completely gone. And I... And I I was like, Kim, this, this can't be it. She goes, it, it looks like it is. I said, I, I know, but maybe it, it just moved a few feet over. And, and not wanting to give up, I thought, let, let, me, let me just walk past the dot. And I walked past the dot. And didn't I do that? And, and, and she just was watching me. And I said, okay, let's go back up and see if the dot changes. And so I, I walked back and forth to make sure the dot was not misleading me. Because there are false religions out there and, uh, and false prophets. And, and I stood in front of the dot and, it was, and she goes, honey, it's the restaurant. Those are the signs. But it can't be. It was just here. It's gone. Misled again. Trusting someone I should have not believed in. Then I, I said to Kim, I, I saw, remember, I saw this other restaurant up the way. She goes, you sure? And I said, yes. And so we passed a couple. We walked back up and passed one place, another place. And, and it's hard to know if you're actually walking into another lifeless experience. <laughs> we saw this little door, and I looked inside, and I heard people speaking Italian. That was a good sign. And, and I listened to the music, and it was modern Italian, not English, not American, not 70s. And not old school Italian that they play for the tourists to make you feel like it's actually Italian. It was modern Italian, the kind that like, real Italian people might listen to. 
Now let's go here. And we looked at the board and it said, pasta, pizza. I said, this is the menu we want. <laughs> so, and they didn't come outside and grab us, which was also a good sign. Because when you have great food, people will just come. And so we walked inside and they sat us down and, and the waiter could not speak English, which I thought was a great sign. <laughs> and I asked him for, for water with gas, sparkling water, and he brought me flat water, which made me more hopeful. I said, he can't understand me. So I just pointed on the menu. Because what do you want? And I said, I want pizza and lasagna. Because life is too short. I need it all now. This is my last chance. And Kim ordered pasta and, and we waited a while. And we thought, we hope this would be good. And it seemed like it's good. And all the signs seemed to be right. And they finally brought her pasta and they brought my lasagna. And they forgot the pizza. Now, he probably didn't even understand. Because he doesn't speak English. And I spoke to him in Spanish. And maybe the Spanish didn't translate over into Italian. And... <laughs> but when I... Cut into that lasagna, put it in my mouth. It, 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 just, it just melted in my mouth. It was like, it was hot, and it melted like butter. And, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was like one of those moments where you said, God, you exist. You are real. You, you are here. And Kim's pasta was amazing. And I tasted some of her pasta. She tasted a little of my lasagna. And, and we just scarfed it down. It was just so good. And we were so full. And we said, you know, they forgot the pizza. And she goes, I know, let's not tell them. Because we we're both so full, there's no way that we could eat the pizza. So it's good that they forgot it. And we were there for maybe, I don't know, an hour. And, and, and then when we thought it was time to leave, they brought out the pizza. <laughs> they did not forget. It was the second course. And we looked at each other and thought, there's just no way in the world we can eat this pizza. And what a shame. And she goes, maybe we can take it to go. And I said, honey, we're, we're not going to walk around Rome with the pizza in a box. And, and she said, we're, we're, we're both so full. And I said, I know it's such a shame, but we might as well just take a bite. <laughs> so we took a bite, and, which led to a slice, <laughs> which led to two slices and maybe three. And after a while, Kim said, we're going to eat it all, aren't we? I think when she met we, she met me. <laughs> but I've been searching all my life for this moment. And, you know, one of the amazing things about God and the way that Jesus has come to us is that we actually reject him because he comes accessible to us. We actually have more confidence in a God that's completely elusive to us than one who actually comes to be with us. Which I thought was interesting even when I put on Instagram that I'd been to the Vatican. I was getting so much hate. It's amazing how creative people are with their hate. <laughs> it's amazing how many people will follow you until you go someplace they don't want you to go. And I had statements from, wow, you've lost your way from the barbarian way. That was creative. Erwin, naive lately. Love that one. My favorite one is something about me being Satan. <laughs> and, and, and Aaron was trying to delete those comments as fast as they were going up so that I wouldn't feel sad about the responses, but I was taking photographs of them. This is what they did to Jesus. 
Jesus talks to a prostitute, and so he's immoral. He, he talks to the broken and the wounded, to the sick, to the outcasts. And so he cannot be the son of God. In fact, how they felt about the people Jesus interacted with for them was a reflection of who Jesus was. Oh, 2,000 years later, we're still having the same conversation. We hate the Vatican and we hate the Catholic Church, so because you're there, we hate you. Oh, I'm exactly where I need to be. Because it tells us about Jesus, and try to let this soak into your brain if you're worried about your associations, that Jesus descended into hell to preach freedom to the captives. He was willing to go to hell to proclaim freedom to anyone who would hear it and be free in him. And we get worried about who we're hanging out with, having conversations about life. We saw Jesus of low esteem because we did not consider humanity worthy of God. It's odd how we think God should come for us but not for anyone else. He goes on to say in verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. I want you to hear the optimal word here is our. See, everything that describes Jesus as less than beautiful is actually the result of his coming near to us. He took up our pain and our suffering. And here's the curious thing, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, one of the odd dynamics in relationship to Jesus is that even when Jesus was being crucified, they used that as proof that he was rejected by God. See, how can he be loved by God? How can he be the son of God? If he is so brutalized, so broken, so wounded, so tortured, how could he be the love of God if he is crucified? Jesus' death on the cross was humanity's proof that Jesus could not be from God. But Jesus' death on the cross was God's proof that God had come for us. See, the, the disdain that Jesus felt from us wasn't really about him. It was about us. Jesus is the beautiful one, and he allowed himself to be ripped to shreds and made look inhumane because that was a reflection of what was in us, not in him. I was talking to one of my friends who um, was working on his designs for next year, and he said, I'm having a mental block, and I need to design my next line, and I wonder if you'd brainstorm with me about some design ideas. I said, sure, of course, that'd be great. 
And as we were talking, I said, maybe you should use a, a juxtaposition. Choose a symbol that represents one thing and transform it to mean something else. Like in Ezekiel, dry bones represent life. Or maybe you should use chains in the middle of our social unrest as a symbol of freedom. So, you, you know, like the cross, I just happened to go to the cross as we're talking about design. So, you know, like the cross. The cross is an ancient symbol of death. And he finished the sentence for me. And it's now a symbol of life. I said, that's right. I, I know it sounds absurd. But, but and he goes, no, it's, it's not absurd at all. I get it completely. And I thought, this is funny. The person who's a follower of Jesus is trying to explain the absurdity of the cross. That's an instrument of death reflecting life. And the person who's not yet a follower of Jesus, not yet a follower of Jesus, is saying, no, it makes perfect sense to me of how Jesus took this instrument of death called the cross and has turned it into the world's symbol for life. You see, in this moment when Isaiah describes the death of Jesus. I mean, how more accurately and poignantly can he describe the crucifixion? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, the beauty of God is that the scars did not diminish his beauty but actually accentuated his beauty. God is the source of all beauty. He is the beautiful one. But let me tell you, one of the peculiar things about Jesus is that after he rose from the dead, the disciples were meeting together and Jesus surprises them on Sunday. And Thomas doesn't show up, so he misses Jesus coming back from the dead, which is why you should never miss a Sunday. And during the week, they talked about what happened the Sunday before. But Thomas says, I'm not going to believe until I can put my finger in the hole in his hand. My hand in the scars in his feet, or his side. And, and Jesus comes back the next week, which created a tradition. Show up every Sunday, because Jesus is going to show up. <laughs> and Jesus looks to Thomas and said, Thomas, here are my hands. Put your finger here. Here's the wound. Put your hand here. I thought, wait a minute. Jesus just conquered death. Three days in the tomb, and now he's alive. If you can conquer death, you could do a little cosmetic surgery on wounds. I mean, here we are in the epicenter of Botox, collagen. We don't even want any wrinkles when we're 87. All right. I mean, our faces are so tight. I don't even know how we breathe. Why doesn't God do some cleaning up of some of the scarring issues? And yet, Jesus keeps these wounds. You want to know why? Because as beautiful as God was without scars, the God with scars is more beautiful even still. Because the scarred God is the beautiful one. And so in the last moments of Jesus' life, Luke writes these words in chapter 23. 
beginning of verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They despised him and turned their faces from him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the beautiful one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Save and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. They tell us that to create art, you have to have a perspective. That the vantage point from which you see things will completely determine the art you create. See, one of the things I, I know is that if art demands truth, Beauty demands hope. You cannot have beauty without hope. And you cannot remain hopeless once you've seen beauty. And while one criminal saw Jesus the way the rest of humanity in that moment saw him, they saw nothing in him that attracted him, them, nothing that was majestic, nothing beautiful in him. And so they mocked him and they despised him and they saw him as of no value. But this other criminal looks at Jesus and says, can't you see who's next to us? Can't you see what I see? He says, this man is innocent. And he looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, when he's saying, Jesus, I see you. I know who you are. With that crown of thorns on his head and his face emaciated and deformed. With his skin torn off his flesh. With his body virtually lifeless, he could see the beautiful one. So Jesus, remember me. What powerful words that a man who knows he's guilty would say to him, I just want to be on your mind, Jesus, when I die. Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus looks at this man who I am absolutely certain knew he was unworthy of grace, unworthy of love, unworthy of forgiveness, unworthy of God's kingdom. And Jesus, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to him? I am the beautiful one. And I'm going to take you into a beautiful place. I have a future for you that's filled with wonder and with hope, with beauty and awe. 
But what I love about who Jesus is, is that we don't have to be at the end of our lives. The moment we see him for who he is, the moment we see him as the beautiful one, the moment we see his beauty and his wonder and realize that he has come for us, the moment we realize that the beautiful one expresses himself in love toward us, the moment we say, remember me, we realize he looks at us. He says, I see you. You know what I love about Jesus? It's not just that when you look at him, you see beauty in his purest form. What I love about Jesus is that when he looks at you, when he looks at me, he sees a beauty that no one else has ever seen. The most beautiful woman in my life before I met my wife, Kim. Hope it's okay, honey, if I talk about another woman. Before Kim was my grandma. Mommy Finita was the most beautiful woman in the world to me. Now, she may have never been like a pageant queen. She was like five feet tall, maybe 300 pounds. She was more cubic. <laughs> she had a funny laugh and a witty sense of humor and she loved to eat. She was the most beautiful woman in the world to me. Because I, I, I know it's hard to imagine this, but I was a difficult child. And I was a child being raised by just a young woman. And it was just so difficult for her. And I used to sneak out at night, sometimes sleepwalking, sometimes just walking, when everyone else was asleep. I would disappear in the city of San Salvador and disappear in Miami. And, and one night I got up in the middle of the night and unexpectedly I heard these two voices, one of my parents and my grandmom who was visiting from El Salvador. And I heard my parents describe me. And I heard her describe how unbearable it was to have to love me and parent me. How difficult that was and how they didn't know what to do with me and, and how they were just at the end of themselves and, and explaining why they put me through the things they put me through because I just, I just wasn't the child they wanted. And I listened to this conversation around the age of nine or 10 and it went deep, it left me wounded, it left me scarred. But I heard my grandmom say, well, let me have him. Let me take him home with me. I love him. I don't see that at all. And she began to describe me so differently. I could hear it in her voice. She wanted me. She saw something in me that no one else saw in me and I didn't see in me. And they didn't let me go back with her. She went back to El Salvador and I stayed in the States and, and it wasn't a really great childhood. And I had so many moments in my life I felt so isolated and so alone and so, so broken and empty that even still decades later I feel that, feel that in me. But what kept me going when I was a kid 
was knowing that I, I had my mommy finita across an ocean who said, I would love to bring him home. I love him. Just give him to me. See, that's exactly who Jesus is. See, he's the one who looks at you no matter what anyone else has ever said, no matter what you've ever thought about yourself, no matter what negative words have ever been spoken into your life. I want you to know that Jesus is the one who looks at you, and he is the beautiful one. And it might terrify you when you look at one so beautiful and think to yourself, he would never love me. Why would he ever want me? Why would he ever invite me into his presence? But I want you to know the one who is most beautiful looks at you and says, I love you, I value you, I created you in my image, and I want you to come home with me. And I want you to know tonight that no matter what you've been through, no matter how wounded or broken you are, if the God who is most beautiful with his scars has come for us, and he can make you beautiful with all of your scars. You never have to be alone. You never have to wonder if there's a place you belong. If you just look at him and say, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, I'm telling you, he's gonna look at you tonight and say, today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. And you don't have to wait till you die. You don't have to wait till you leave this life. The moment you enter into the presence of God, you are in the beautiful space. And the beautiful one will give you that beautiful life you were created to live. Do you see him? Do you see his beauty? Let his beauty overwhelm you. Let it envelop you. Let the one who is most beautiful make your life a beautiful one. You may be here tonight and you heard so many things about God and they've caused you to run from God. Tonight I hope that you run to him. The one who is the source of everything beautiful, he created you. He created you in his image and his likeness. He created you as an object of his love. He created you to live in his beauty and his wonder. And if you're here tonight and you've never invited Jesus into your life, this would be a perfect night to do that. A perfect moment to just say, Jesus, I give you everything. Jesus wants to come into your life and take all the wounds and take all the scars and take all the brokenness and to allow him through his wounds to bring your healing. Though he was crushed, he wants to give you peace. Would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment? We're gonna pray and we're gonna specifically pray that Jesus might come into your life, that he would change everything tonight. And if you're here and you're ready to cross that line of faith and to give your life to Jesus, if you want the beautiful one to take you and make your life beautiful, I just want you right now just to hold up your hand high and say, yes, tonight I choose to give my life to Jesus. Tonight I want his love, his forgiveness, his life, his beauty in me. Just hold your hand up high right now before I pray. 
If that's you tonight, if your heart is pounding against your chest, then you know that God is speaking to you tonight. And maybe you didn't come to have God change your life, but you cannot leave here tonight without God changing everything. I just want you to raise your hand high and say, yes, tonight, that's me tonight. I choose to give Jesus my life tonight. I want that life, that freedom in me. Anyone else right now, beautiful all over the room, anyone else? Just hold it high. All right, let's pray this prayer. Let's all pray it together. So that those who are praying for the first time know they're not alone. Let's pray it loud. Let's pray with joy. Jesus, I give you my life. I know you died on the cross for me. That you rose from the dead. That you paid the price for my sin. And I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. I receive your life in me. I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I belong to you. Can we just thank God for everyone who is just including this I have the strangest conversations with people and sometimes they'll come up to me and say, hey, we, we love Mosaic and we love the talks, but you, you, you end up talking about Jesus a lot. <laughs> kind of fixated on Jesus and I am really fixated on Jesus. And people will come and say, I, I can get God and I'm not sure about Jesus, but, but why would Jesus have to die on the cross? And, and, and you know, the reason that we have such a hard time with the cross is that the cross says a lot about us, not just about God. Because if God had to die, so that we could be free, so that we could love. Then it is a pretty profound statement about our condition. We would love it if God would have had to do less so that he would say more about us. But actually he says more about God in his absolute, infinite, endless love for you. Let the cross be for you a reminder that no matter how broken you are, no matter how messed up you are, no matter how much you've trashed your life, no matter how many people have stopped loving you or how unlovely you feel, that Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate price so that you would know his love. And you know what? All over the city, there are people who don't know that they matter. There are people who don't know that they're loved. There are people who don't understand that Jesus is the beautiful one and if we trust him with our life, he will give us a beautiful life. And it doesn't mean it's without wounds. It doesn't mean it's without suffering. It doesn't mean it's without tragedy. It just means that we'll always find the beauty because we always have that hope. Yeah. So I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you this week to not allow that love to simply be consumed by you, but to take it with you as a gift to others. I want you to invite your friends next week. I, I want us to have standing room only for the next weeks. We're going to be looking at the encounters between Jesus and individuals. And we're going to see the beauty in him. And we're going to see his, the beauty in us. And this is your opportunity to, to take that huge risk. To use all that relational clout you have. And say, would you come to church with me? Or if you're afraid to say, say come to Mosaic. Maybe they won't figure it out at the church. And say, come with me. And, and you know what I've discovered? No one is actually ever offended if you invite them to church. They're only offended if you're offensive. But if you do it as an act of love, an act of kindness, people will understand. And don't worry when they say no. You just keep inviting people. Sometimes they, they say no because they don't know if you're really serious. 
And so what I want to encourage you to do this week is see the beauty all around you. Wake up every day and see the beauty in life. Live a life full of hope. Because as you see beauty everywhere, people will see the beauty in you. And next week, let's pack this place out. Let's let people interact with the God who sees them through the eyes of God. And let us, for the first time, help people see the beauty of the beautiful one together. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Mosaic Podcast. As God has spoken into your life, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that when we've been invested in, we need to also become investors. And I want to encourage you right now, if Mosaic is one of the platforms from which you grow spiritually, you connect more deeply to God, and your faith with Jesus becomes more real, I want to encourage you right now to go to mosaic.org and become one of our givers. Give a one-time gift, become a recurring giver. Mosaic isn't just a church in Los Angeles. Mosaic is all of us working together. Thank you.